anxious found that time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the same diverse shall gather over on the other shore. And the row is called up yonder, I'll be there. When the row is called up yonder. When the row is called up yonder. When the row is called up yonder. When the row is called up yonder, I'll be there. On the last now, let us labor for the from the dawn till setting sun. Let us talk of all his wondrous love and care. Then when all of life is over and our work on earth is done, and the roll is called of yonder I'll be there. When the roll is called of yonder, when the roll is called of yonder, when the Let's let our ushers come forward to receive our offering tonight. Encourage you to give and, and be faithful in your giving. I'll say a little bit about the building in a little while, but your giving is critical to our future, and you've been giving, and I appreciate uh, the way you continue to give and the increase we're experiencing in our giving, and I pray the Lord will bless you for it. Bless the offering, Lord. Be glorified in every little detail. In Jesus' name, amen. Sweetly in 
When I look down from lofty lofty grandeur and hear the broom and feel the gentle breeze oh then sings my soul my savior God to thee But choir, just join me on the chorus. Let us all raise our voices and sing. Then sing my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou Oh, yes, how great
And this one thing I know, my Savior pardoned me.
to become a normal man. Now we don't know much about the men that carry the corners of his tattered bed that day. But if we may create an illustration, we'll see what these men might imagine to say. Suppose that first man said, I hate to doubt it, for Jesus touched my eyes when I was blind. And he made me see, and there's no doubt about it, but this man's needs are more serious than mine. Well, suppose that second man said, no need to bother, this man's condition will remain the same. Though Jesus touched my hair when it was withered, I don't believe he can kill a man so lame. Suppose that third man said, I hate to question, but no Jesus, this is your opportunity to get out, folks. Come on, get out. Got you clapping your hands. Let's start shaking hands with everyone you possibly can and get back to your seat. Victory in Jesus.
You know, I've often wondered what my first thought is going to be like when I enter those pearly gates. And my mind can, can hardly imagine what I'm, what I'm going to see. And I, I, when we heard this song the first time, uh, it says, I can almost see the lights of home. And I think back to my great-grandfather as he's laying on his on his deathbed. And I wasn't there. I was too young to remember, but I've heard stories. And they were singing the song, Going Home, Going Home. And they said, Grandpa just kind of lifted up his shoulders, and his eyes kind of went towards the ceiling. And you know, I can't help but to imagine it, that Grandpa was seeing the lights of home. And he was seeing Jesus stand up, and I don't know if Jesus was spreading his arms out for Grandpa to run into. I don't know what Grandpa was seeing, but I know he was seeing the lights of home. I can't wait for that moment in time when countless thousands will enter that place. We're going to see the lights of home. We're going to see Jesus sitting upon his throne. I want you to listen to the message in this song. Before we leave this building tonight, we can see those lights. It's simply called the lights of home.
still will hear that heavenly call as our Father says, my child, come home. And I can almost see the lights of home. I can almost hear my Father whisper, child, welcome. You have won the y'all, but I'm about ready to load up and go tonight, I'm telling you.
slow, we almost fall, our eyes grow dim, our hearing gone, but we still will hear that heavenly call, as our Father says, my child, come Yes. <laughs> it sure was. <laughs> All I can say is glory. Amen. Oh, it'll... <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. Yes. Amen. I've got mine packed. They've been packed for a long time. In fact, I... Really, I don't even need to carry on. Just, just let me head out tonight, amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. David and Linda, good to see you tonight. Good to have you back home tonight. Amen. It's, isn't it great to be saved? Just to know the Lord as our Savior. What a blessing. What a blessing. All those fellas, dustified, that's their name, Amen. It was a blessing. Oh, great, great. 
Brother Cliff Fletcher, would you stand, please? Brother, our deacon body tonight uh, elected Cliff to serve as our chairman for the coming year, so he hasn't had a chance to ask Glenda, but I'm sure it'll be all right. But uh, you be praying for Cliff? Say amen. amen. Appreciate Brother Cliff. Amen. We uh, choose a chairman every year. We rotate our deacons every three years. We rotate our chairman every year. And Brother John Emmerich, where are you at, Brother John? Would you stand? Would you stand back there? He served this past year, did a great job. Let's express our appreciation to Brother John. <laughs> before we look in the Scripture, I want you to be finding Hebrews 12, but before we look in the Scripture, I just want to encourage you to continue to pray. I know many of you are praying, but I want to challenge you, as I did the folks on Wednesday night, to put it this way, to intensify your prayers in the coming days. There's a lot of things going on, a lot of things that will be happening, and we have been praying, but I want to encourage you to pray as you have never prayed before. Lord willing, by the end of this month, we'll be coming to you, and, and we'll be putting before you of course, we've already voted back last year to begin the procedures of getting ready to build, determining what to build and whatever. And you have, we've tried to share with you along the way what we're going to build. And of course, it's been a lot of work just being, knowing that that's what we're going to build. But Lord willing, at the end of this month, we're going to be coming to you and not only asking you to approve the building that uh, we are presenting to you, but also uh, to approve as we began to secure the financing for the building. And so we are that close to being ready. And when we do that, then all that is left is to sign our second stage of the contract with the company that we have hired to build our building. Then they will begin architectural drawings, securing the permits to build the building, and then actually breaking ground uh, in the fall to do so. If we're able to do that by the 1st of April, then we should be able to break ground in October. So I, and I'm looking forward. Wouldn't that be great? Now you listen, it's exciting. I mean, Sherry's talking about the other day, we st sitting in the kitchen, we were just talking. Uh, it's, it's, it's exciting at this point. But I can't wait till they dig those footers and they set those big steel beams out there. Then you'll really begin to see things as they transpire. That's when it's going to get exciting around here. In fact, I may just scale one one Sunday. Amen? <laughs> just run out and crawl up and run down the other side. But it's going to be exciting. And when they get started, but uh, I want you to pray as we, as you have never prayed before and pray about your giving, but not just pray about your giving, pray that God would lead us and God will guide us. We're, we're just amazed at what the Lord has done in just the past couple of years, the past three years. If you take us back five years ago, none of this would have ever been possible. It is amazing where God has brought us to. Keep on praying and keep on lifting these things up. And then all the other things, as we began to move in a lot of things, many have asked about the TV ministry. We are getting ready now in a few weeks and a few months. We're going to begin into our TV ministry. And I want you to say a word about the TV ministry. There'll, there'll be, some, be some things that we'll do different as a result of being on TV. And of course, we're doing that to reach out and doing that in order to have a ministry, not just to be on there just to show off. We, it's, it's, there's a divine reason for why we're doing it. And by being on TV will mean that we'll do things just a little bit, bit different, and there'll be some things uh, that we'll do that we've never done before. But I want to say this much. There's some things that will never change. 
And one is, that's how we worship around here. That don't change. We come to church to worship God. Amen? Amen. And I don't care if we're on TV or not. We've come to worship God. That's not going to change. It's not going to change how we worship. It's not going to change how we come to church. Nothing's going to change that. Be a few changes, but not when it comes to worship. And then I want to assure you of one thing that uh, I'm not going to change. And I'm not going to change what I believe. I'm not going to change what I preach. In fact, I may get as mean as a devil myself when I get on there. Say amen. But uh, I'm not going to change. We are not going to change in how we worship God. But I want you to begin praying now as we begin. It's going to be an adjustment for some things and changes some things. As these lights we got on here, and we don't have them half cranked up tonight. It's going to be different and, and all because you not only have a building to worship, but we had to actually... I basically turn our worship center into a studio and blend them all together. And it's going to be adjustment for things, adjustment for the people that are in our choir, and adjustment for you in some things. But at the same time, just remember we're doing this to reach more people. I believe this all in my heart. I believe there are folk out there that are hungry for what we have here and for the way we worship when we come here. Folks are dying. They're dead, tired of this dead religion. They want something, want to be in something where God is doing something. And so I want you to begin praying for these things and lifting them up. Revival, two weeks from today. I want you to start praying that God will visit with us. I want you to start inviting people. So bring people every night of the revival, Sunday through Wednesday. Start praying that it'll be just an unusual time in the Lord. So all of these things, will you pray for them? Yeah. Lift them up in prayer. Let's stand as we honor the reading of His Word. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. As you know, on Sunday nights, we've been thinking about how to handle what's handling you. Now, tonight, I want us to think about the subject of bitterness. It's very possible tonight something is eating at you. You're eat up with something in your life. Well, I want you to look tonight as we consider these two verses of Scripture in Hebrews 12. Let's glean a few things about bitterness. Notice Hebrews 12, verse 14. The Bible said, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Now, look carefully at verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Thank you. May be seated. Let's pray. So something's eating at you. Let's look at this matter of bitterness tonight. Let's pray. Our Father, we could just stop right now and go home. It's been a blessing to be in the house of the Lord. It's been a joy to assemble with our brothers and sisters in Christ and to be reminded of what it would be like when we're all together on the other side. What a blessing. Father, we thank you for just being good to us. We don't deserve, Lord, what you do for us in this place. We don't deserve what you have done for us. Father, we're just grateful that you're blessed, and we stand amazed at your blessings, and we stand in awe of all that you have done. Father, help us just to love you more. Help us, Lord, to serve you like we've never served you before. Help us, Lord, to live for you as we've never lived for you. Help us, Lord, to stay submitted to your will. Help us, Lord, to stay filled with the Holy Spirit. Lord, just keep us where you can continue to bless for the honor and the glory of God. Thank you for the future. Not only thank you for the present, but thank you for the future. Thank you for all you're going to do. And again, Lord, keep us where you can bless us, and we'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. I never forget a story I read one time. This is a true story. It was told on the local news in Liberal, Kansas. But it told of an elderly lady that was driving a big, new, expensive car. And so she was getting ready to park in a parking space, in parallel parking. She pulled up and was getting ready to back in when all of a sudden, this young man in a small sports car zoomed into the space ahead of her. Well, the lady, angry, got out and said to the young man, or asked the young man why he had done that, knowing that she was getting ready to back into that space. And the fellow said, I'm young and I'm quick, and he darted off into the store. When he came out of the store a few minutes later, he found that the lady was taking her big, new, expensive car and was using it as a battering ram. She'd pull up, then back up and slam into his car, pull up and back up and then slam into his car. He ran up to her and angrily asked what she, what she was doing or why she was wrecking his car, and her response was, I'm old and I'm rich. Amen? <laughs> well, I'm mindful that there are times in life when things happen to us that we resent, and oftentimes we react by venting our feelings in destructive ways. I am mindful tonight there are times when we react in such a way that causes harm not only to others, but causes harm to ourselves. I think about the matter of bitterness, and the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us that bitterness is destructive in our life. That sometimes things that happen to us leave us resentful. And sometimes the things that we go through in life hurt us. And sometimes the hurt feelings develop into bitterness in our life. I am mindful tonight that a bitter heart always leads to a bad heart. And a bad heart always leads to a bawling heart. Otto von Bismarck was the chancellor of Germany during the First World War. Bismarck was a man that was eat up with bitterness. For example... One morning, Bismarck announced, I have spent the whole night hating. He was such a bitter man, full of bitterness. In fact, he was such a bitter man that the weight of bitterness eventually broke his health. He grew a beard to hide the twitching muscles of his face. Jaundice, gastric ulcers, and gallstones and shingles racked his body. When publishers offered him a large sum of money for his life story, he began to write with a reckless disregard of truth venting his bitterness and venting his anger on others and those that he knew and those around him, even people that had been long dead. He died at the age of 83, a cynical, lonely, miserable, embittered man. Now, it's very possible in this room tonight there are those that are being eaten up by something. It may be that something happened in your life 10, 20, 30 years ago, but you've never let that matter go. And it has lived in your heart and simmered in your heart all of these years. It has grown into bitterness in your life. It could be that you are going through something that can make you bitter. Well, I want us to consider the matter of bitterness tonight, that that which eats at us and learn how to handle bitterness in our life. Are you with me tonight? Say amen. There are three things I want you to notice. The first is this. Let's define the presence of bitterness. Let's define the presence of bitterness. What do we mean when we about bitterness. The writer of Hebrews in verse 15 tells us and encourages us to care for hurting our lives lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Now, what is this matter of bitterness that he draws our attention to? First of all, let me just talk about bitterness and explain bitterness to you. Bitterness explained. 
What do we mean when we talk about bitterness? The word bitterness, our word bitterness, comes from an old root word that means to bite. And to me, this is very suggestive. For bitterness is like being bitten by something or bitten by someone. Bitterness is like being bitten by the old serpent Satan himself. And when he bites us, he releases his venom and poison into our heart and into our life. You read in the book of Acts chapter 8 and verse 23 that Peter said to Simon, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness. The word gall that he used there means poison. He said, I perceive that you are poisoned with bitterness. You see, bitterness is the poison that comes when we have been bitten by things that happen in life. T.S. Rendell defined bitterness this way. He said, bitterness is the atmosphere that is produced in us internally when we meditate over life circumstances and decide that we have not been given a fair deal. He also defined bitterness as the radioactive fallout that contaminates everything in life after there has been a failure in the core of our being to come to grips with life's disappointments. What was Mr. Rendell talking about? He's simply saying that there are things that happen in our life and if we react to those things wrongly, it can leave us filled with bitterness. Adrian Rogers in his book that deals with emotions said that bitterness is a blight, an emotional cancer which consumes many a person who once had the bloom of eternal springtime upon them. I have known those through the years whose life was a glowing testimony for Christ. And there was something about their life that just radiated the Lord Jesus and the love of Christ in their life. But then something happened in their life and they became bitter. And it robbed them of their joy and it robbed them of their peace and it robbed them of their happiness. It took all that joy away. James Merritt said that bitterness is harbored hurt hidden in the heart. So it may be tonight that you have been hurt in some way by someone, by something, and that hurt is harbored deep down on the inside. Bitterness explained. But let me just share with you a thought about bitterness expressed, how bitterness manifests itself in our life. When I think about bitterness and the Bible characters, I have to think of Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet. You read how Jeremiah was persecuted by his family, opposed by the rulers of Jerusalem, hated by the people. You find in the Bible how Jeremiah broke down and lashed out at everybody around him. In the book of Jeremiah, we have several monologues where he expressed his bitterness. He manifested bitterness to God at one point and accused him of putting him into the ministry against his will. And Jeremiah even cursed the man who carried the news of his birth to his father. Jeremiah and all that he was going through, there was a point that it left him a bitter man. Now, when I think about Jeremiah, his example reminds us that bitterness is basically expressed in two ways in our life. It is expressed horizontally on some occasions, which is manward, and it is ex expressed vertically in our lives on some occasions, which is Godward. For example, take the matter of bitterness that is expressed manward. It may be tonight that you are bitter over a boss or bitter at a boss that fired you from your job. It could be tonight that your bitterness exists because a spouse walked out on you one day, walked out on you for someone else, and that anger and that bitterness has dwelt in your heart ever since. It may be your bitterness is vented toward a business partner that cheated you out of money. It may be because of a friend that violated your trust. It may have been a father that abused you. It may have been a mother who mistreated you. It may be a brother or sister that let you down. It may be even a church 
and where in which you got hurt. Or it may be due to a preacher that did you wrong or didn't do what he should have done. Sometimes we become bitter, and our bitterness is horizontal. That is, our bitterness is vented manward and expressed manward to those around us. Sometimes our bitterness is even vertical. That is, Godward. I've told the story before about the woman that survived the sinking of the Titanic, but her husband did not. And someone walked up to her and began to talk about God, and she quickly cut him off. He just said, no, 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 no. Don't you talk to me about God. God went down with the Titanic. I've told the story of the, about the president of all the presidents that have served our country, all of them, all of them, with the exception of one president, used a Bible in their inauguration. Franklin Pierce refused to have a Bible used in his inauguration. And the reason went back to just prior to his inauguration. President-elect Pierce and his wife and their 11-year-old son, Benny, were involved in a train wreck. Neither President-elect Pierce or his wife was injured, but their son was killed. Pierce couldn't imagine why God would, let, would let such a tragedy occur at that moment in his life. He couldn't understand why God would let their 11-year-old son, Benny, be killed. And at his inauguration, he refused to have a Bible. He refused to have a Bible used in his swearing when he was sworn into office. Sometimes our bitterness is vented toward others. Sometimes our bitterness is vented toward God. But it's that feeling on the inside, that anger on the inside, when we have been hurt by someone, hurt by something, and that bitterness grows in our heart. That's what we mean when we talk about bitterness. But look at the second thing that the writer talks about. Not only defining the presence of bitterness, but second of all, I want you to think with me about describing the pollution of bitterness. You see, the writer of Hebrews speaks of bitterness troubling us. And the writer speaks of how bitterness defiles us. Look again at verse 15. He says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Now, look at this. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Now, think with me for just a moment. For one thing, think about the development of bitterness. The development of bitterness. As you know, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina. And so when I came to Chattanooga, there was a few things that I uh, learned about and, and was acquainted with that I had never known in the mountains of North Carolina. One thing was okra. Praise God for okra. I believe we'll have okra at the marriage supper of the Lamb, don't you? I, we didn't have okra in the mountains. I guess it was too cold, the climate or something like that. We didn't have okra in the mountains. So I never heard about okra. I didn't never even know, knew there was such a thing, but I quickly fell in love with it. Another thing that I was introduced to when I came to Chattanooga was that beloved plant called kudzu. You're familiar with kudzu, aren't you? I mean, when I came to Chattanooga and saw that plant hanging, I thought, that's a beautiful plant. I'd like to have some of that in my yard. And so I mentioned to someone one time, they said, no, 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 no. You don't want kudzu in your yard. But I'd never seen kudzu in the mountains of North Carolina. But when I came to Chattanooga, I became acquainted with kudzu. Now, kudzu is a vine that is native to Japan. And it was introduced in this country in 1876, and it was first used as an ornamental shade plant, and then it was later used to control soil erosion. But because of its rapid growth by 1948, it was estimated that kudzu was growing on 500,000 acres in the southeast. And of that 500,000 acres, it was estimated that 480,000 of those acres were in the state of Georgia. But kudzu can grow up to, listen, kudzu can grow up to one foot per day and up to 100 feet in a single growing season. 
And if you've ever had any experience with kudzu, you know of its ability to compete and choke out native plants and take over anything in its path. When I think about the matter of bitterness, I think about a plant that can develop to the point that it takes over our life. You might say that bitterness is the kudzu of the heart and the kudzu of the life. For example, notice the writer talks about the root of bitterness. Now, a root has to be planted. You have to plant a root. A root is there. Something, a seed has been planted, and something has been planted to develop that root. Well, again, I've already mentioned your bitterness could be vented in many ways. A boss could have caused you to have a bitter heart. It could have been this. It could have been that. But somewhere... There was the seed planted in your heart, and it began to grow. But for a root to grow, it has to be cultivated. Think with me tonight. Are you listening to me? Somewhere something was planted in our heart. But in order for that seed to become a root, it has to be cultivated. There has to be the soil for it to grow in. There has to be the water and the sun to nourish it. You have to cultivate that root if it's going to grow up. The writer speaks of the root of bitterness springing up. The ideal is that that root growing and developing in our lives. Now, you listen to me. Bitterness, there may be things that happen in your life, and there may be something you are going through or something that happened to you that sowed a seed in your heart. Now, that seed will not grow unless you cultivate that seed in your life. That seed will not grow and develop unless you water and nourish that seed. Now, you listen to me carefully tonight. I cannot control what happens to me. Listen to me. I cannot control what happens to me, but I can control what happens in me. I cannot control how others act toward me, but I can control how I react to other people. You know what we do? Things happen in our life, and we provide the soil, and we provide the water. And we provide the sun for bitterness to be cultivated in our life. Instead of dealing with bitterness when it first begins to sprout in our life, we cultivate that and we nourish that and we water that so that it develops in our life and grows up in our life. And like kudzu somewhere, it takes control of our heart and control of our life. The writer talks about the development of bitterness, how it springs up, how it grows. But notice, secondly, he talks about the defilement of bitterness. He tells us that when we allow bitterness to develop in our life, spring up in our life, he tells us that it troubles us. You see that verb trouble there? It means to crowd within. It was a word that was sometimes used, translated vexed, such as he was vexed of a demon or vexed of a devil in the book of Mark. The ideal is that it pushes out the good things in our heart and it takes over in our life. It's like here we are, we're in love with Christ. There is the peace of God in our heart. There's joy in our life, but something happens. A bad experience here, a seed is sown in our heart. We are hurt. But yet instead of dealing with that hurt, we let it develop in our life and we cultivate it in our life. And it grows and it grows and it grows until it troubles us, it vexes us, it pushes out the good things, and it fills our life with the bad things. I want you to understand something tonight. Bitterness crowds out our joy. Bitterness will crowd out our happiness. It will crowd out our contentment. It will crowd out our peace, and it'll fill us with hurt. It'll fill us with anger. It'll fill us with resentment, and it'll fill us with hatred. It'll vex the heart of a man. If you let that thing grow in your heart, and you cultivate it, and let it simmer in your heart, it, like kudzu, will take over your heart. 
One of the most interesting books I've ever read in my life was a book that was written several years ago by a doctor, Dr. S.I. McMillan. And you've probably seen it or heard about it. It's a little book entitled, None of These Diseases. I think it's been reprinted dozens of times. I think you can still buy the little book. But in the little book there by S.I. McMillan, he lists over 50 diseases that can be caused by negative feelings in our life. But I want you to listen to what he wrote. I want you to listen to this very carefully. He says, the man I hate may be miles from my bedroom, but more cruel than any slave driver, he whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes a torture. The lowliest of serfs can sleep, but not I. I really must acknowledge the fact that I am a slave to every man upon whom I pour out the vial of my wrath. And that's since you what Dr. McMillan was saying, that bitterness troubles us. That if we allow things that happen to us to fester in our life and to develop in our life, it will vex us like a demon vexing a man. Like a bite from the old serpent itself. It will poison our heart, driving out the good things and filling our life with evil things. As the writer of Hebrews said, it even defiles our life. It pollutes our life. E. Stanley Jones wrote a rattlesnake. If cornered, will sometimes become so angry that it will bite itself. And he said that's exactly what the harboring of hate and resentment against others is, a biting of oneself. He said we think we're harming others and holding these spites and hate, but the deeper harm is to ourselves. When we're holding grudges in our heart, bitter about an ex-husband, bitter about this experience, bitter about an ex-boss man, bitter about an ex-church, it's like you are biting your own self and filling your own self with poison. It's like a plant taken over in your life. It is like troubling the bitter ones. Bitterness defiles the bitter ones. And when we're filled with bitterness, we're only hurting ourselves. I think about a story I read one time, an interesting story. Some of the soldiers of Caesar, and they became dissatisfied with their regiment and their rations. And they didn't have the bonus to complain to Caesar himself. So they knew if they said anything to Caesar, they knew it cost their lives. So they, began, they became, instead of being angry at Caesar, they became angry with their gods. So what you know what soldiers did? They became angry with their gods, and they took their arrows, and they shot their arrows toward heaven, hoping to hit their gods. But the result was that many of them were killed by their own arrows as they came back down out of the heavens. And that's what bitterness does. We become hurt about something, and we don't deal with it or react rightly to that situation. And we become angry, and we become hurt, and we become resentful, and our heart becomes filled with bitterness. And it's like shooting arrows up in the sky and shooting them back on ourselves. Bitterness will eventually come back to harm and hurt the very one who shot them. Amen? But here's the third thing. Not only defining the presence of bitterness and describing the pollution of bitterness, but really, this is what it's all about, defeating the power of bitterness. Like all other emotions that we've looked at over the past several weeks and will look at, I believe tonight that bitterness can be defeated in our lives. I believe it can be overcome in our life. Instead of being handled by bitterness, I believe we can learn how to handle bitterness in our life. How do we defeat bitterness in our life? Well, let me ask you this. He talks about, he describes bitterness as being a root. How do you get a root out? How do you get a root out of the ground? You get a shovel and a pick and you dig it out. 
and digging up roots sometimes, roots especially that are deeply entrenched in the ground and have grown out and spread out over a large area. It's not easy to dig up. If you've ever had to dig a root out of the ground, you know that it's not easy. It's hard work. And may I say tonight that dealing with bitterness in your life may not be easy because you may have to do something, may have to do some things that goes against your nature. But if you're going to deal with bitterness in your life, then you're going to have to get the shovel and an axe and a pick, and you're going to have to dig that root out of the ground and dig it out and deal with it the way God wants you to deal with it. How do you deal with bitterness in your life? Are you with me tonight? Let me just give you two things. Jot these two things. One, we must forget whatever injured us. We must forget whatever injured us. Listen to Ephesians 4.31. If you want to turn there, do so, but listen to it. Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And let me say that again. He said, let all bitterness be put away from you. Let all wrath and all anger, evil speaking, all these things, but let all bitterness be put away from you. Now, those words put away literally mean to dispose of. It would be like throwing trash in a trash can. In other words, what, you know what we ought to do? We ought to look at whatever injured us. We ought to look at it the way we ought to look at it. We ought to look at it as nothing more than trash in our life that needs to be disposed of. He said, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. That really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what happened to you. It doesn't matter what injured you. Look at it as it really is. It's trash. It's garbage that ought to be disposed of in our life. Why do we want to pollute our lives? We're not garbage cans. We're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Why do we want to fill our life with garbage? Why do we want to fill our life with trash? Put away all bitterness. Get the garbage out of our life. Dispose of the matter. In the book, Lee, the last year, Charles Flood tells of how after the war, General Robert E. Lee visited a lady that took him to the remains of a grand old tree out in the front of her family's home. The tree had been like a family heirloom. And as she pointed out the tree to General Lee, she cried as she, she pointed out limbs that had been destroyed by federal artillery fire. She pointed out the trunk that had been defaced by the Union Army. And she looked at General Lee, and what she was doing was trying to get sympathy from the general. She looked at him, and she said, General, what do you think I ought to do about it? And Lee stood there looking at the tree for a moment. Then he turned at her and said, Cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. Can I say to you tonight, whatever happened in your life, whatever hurt you, cut it down and forget it. Let it go. It's not worth you losing your joy over. It's not worth you losing your peace over. It's not worth you losing your testimony over. It's not worth you losing the power of God in your life over. Cut it down. Forget it. Whatever it is that injured you, forget it. Second of all, not only must we forget whatever injured us, but we must forgive whoever insulted us. Oh, you say, Brother Ken, I don't know if I can do that. I said digging a root out of the ground is not easy. And to deal with bitterness in your life sometimes, as I said a moment ago, you may have to do something that's contrary to your nature. The truth of the matter is our human nature tonight, when people do us wrong, we want to get even, don't we? Don't we? 
when people do us wrong, we want to get even. We, we even with them. We want to say something that will hurt them. We want to do something to get back at them. That's our human nature. That's this old flesh, this body that we live in. The bitterness, if we're going to deal with it, if we got to get a shovel and a pick and an axe and get out there in the old hard ground in the hot sun and dig and dig that thing out. Work at it. Do that thing which we don't want to do, but yet we got to do so. But again, again, but you don't know what so-and-so did to me. You don't know what so-and-so said to me. You don't know how they hurt me. You don't know how they have offended me. Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever been treated like the Lord Jesus was treated? Have you ever had anybody treat you as bad as Jesus Christ was treated? Has anybody treated you the way our Lord was treated in the final hours of his life? I don't care how bad you've been treated. You have never been treated as bad as our Lord was treated. But yet when you listen to Jesus on the cross, what do you hear him praying? Father, forgive them. You see, that thing that hurt us, you've got to forget whatever it was that injured you, and you've got to forgive whoever it was that insulted you. I read Ephesians 3 or 4, 31, where he said, Put away all bitterness, listen to verse 32, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Have you been forgiven by God? Have you been forgiven by the Lord? Then you ought to forgive others. But you say, Brother Ken, it's so hard to forgive them. If you don't want to be eaten up with bitterness, you don't want the kutzu of life to take over your soul and strangle out the joy of your life, you're going to have to forgive them. That's what God wants you to do. You've got to put away bitterness, look at it as it really is, this trash that clutters up your life, get it out of your life, and forgive whoever it was that hurt you. Many of us are like the two brothers I read about, Harry and James. Harry hit James with a stick. And bitter words followed. The mother intervened, and she said to James, Now, before you go to bed, you're going to have to forgive your brother. James thought about it for a minute, and then he said, All right, I'll forgive him tonight. But if I don't die through the night, he better look out in the morning. Well, that's the way most of us are, amen? But you know what forgiving is? Forgiving is actually forgiving someone and letting the matter go. Matthew, when Jesus talked about forgiving your brother, he used a word that simply means drop it. But they did so, I don't care what they did, drop it. If they did you wrong, they are the ones that did wrong. Think about it. If they lied on you, they're here. Now, why do you want to get eat up with bitterness and become as defiled as they are? If someone did you wrong, God will deal with them. Tell you what, do turn them over to God. Say, Lord, they're yours. I'm going to forget it. I'm going to go on and serve God. I'm going to shout from here on out. Don't get filled with garbage. Drop the matter. Forgive them. Forgive them the way God has forgiven you. And never bring the matter up again. Don't put it in a little black book. Don't st- go out somewhere and dig you a hole in the ground and, 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 and bear it out there. But for God's sake, don't put a headstone on the thing. Leave it out there. Don't ever dig it up again. Forget whatever injured you. Forgive whoever insulted you. Really, the bottom line is this. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be bitter? Do you want God to use you? Do you want God to set you aside? Do you want to be blessed of God, or do you want God to just withdraw his blessings from Bitterness is a miserable way to live life. I wish I could get up here tonight and tell you that I have never been bitter. 
I wish I could get up here tonight and say that I have never let something eat at me. I think of one man, a preacher, if I called his name, you would probably know his name. I'm sure you would. And the experience that we went through and the things that happened there, uh, just, I, I, I won't go into details, but it left my heart so bitter. Somebody mentioned his name, and boy, I would just, it just eat me up on the inside. His name would come up, and someone would say something about it, and on the inside, I'd just churn. it eat at me. it eat at me. Until one day, I saw someone that was on, served on his staff, and I made a comment. And the moment I made the comment, I knew I was wrong. I saw how, how bitter I had really got. Here I was tearing him down to somebody that worked for him. And I caught myself, and I said to the fellow, I said, to him, I am sorry, that's not what I meant. I went back to my office and got on my telephone and I called this gentleman and I said, Sir, I said, I have got to see you. I have got to talk to you. And I said, I have got to get this out of my system. I have got to make this thing right. I'm going to tell you something tonight. I am not going to live an embittered life. I am not going to let my soul be poisoned by what somebody else does, what somebody else thinks, how somebody else feels, or what somebody else does. I'm enjoying too much being saved by God's grace and going my way to heaven. I'm not going to do it. It's not worth losing what you lose just to be bitter. Forget it and forgive it. Let's stand to our feet, please.